Okay, I'm going to call the meeting to order. Um, Trustee Luciani, are you there? I am here. Hello, Trustee Lawrence. How are you? How's San Diego? Uh, um, San Diego is swell. The project I'm here on is progressing well, so... Um, so glad to um, hear it. We miss you. And I'd, be happy to, and I'd be happy to update you personally on that later, but not uh, for the public record. Great. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Good to Hi, see you. Hi, Jim. It's Kinkini. Will you call the roll, please? Trustee Lawrence? Here. Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Lujanani? Present. We have a quorum. Thank you. Any public comment at this point? None at this time. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'm going to move away from the agenda for just a short minute because um, it really is important in our organization to recognize those people who have the stamina to continue with us despite um, many of the challenges. And so I am presenting to Rick Keebler his five-year <laughs> and recognition for his years of service. We're here. I thought this might be a good time, but I didn't bring it up. <laughs> any, any, any statement you would like to make, like continue the paychecks coming? Uh, yes, I, I'm hoping that I can make it another five. That would be, that would be nice. Thank you. Um, Okay, and I'm going to ask if we could uh, move, uh, change the agenda a bit, and I'd like to table the minutes. Uh, Jim, do you have any objection to table the minutes? I've talked with Rick no, about that, it. No, that's, that's fine. Okay, so uh, I'll table the minutes until the next meeting, and then we'll move right to the uh, report. So. We have our external audit reporting, and uh, I do want to apologize to our visitors that the, the numbers are so few here to, to do such a great presentation, but nevertheless, you're welcome, and we're ready to hear what you have to say. Thank you. Well, thank you for having us. The pressure is on. That uh, It's an expectation for a great presentation. Thank you for that. Uh, just first off, we're, we're, uh, we're very excited to be here. Uh, Brian and I were, were healthcare uh, auditors, work with a lot of hospitals. Uh, we were very excited to work with you. Uh, you know, you're, you're in our part of the world, in Northern California here in the Bay Area, uh, and great organization. We already know a lot of people here, and uh, just want to say we're, we're just really excited to be here, really excited to work with you and, and, and form a great and lasting relationship. So. Um, We've sent out a presentation ahead of time. Uh, mm -hmm. This actually is not June 1st, but uh, everything else uh, on the presentation there will, will more or less stand. Uh, the agenda, we're gonna talk a little bit about your service team, uh, independence, what our objectives are, uh, what are the things that we're gonna emphasize in our audit, what are we, what are we planning to really focus on? It's a risk-based exercise. And then, probably most importantly, is get your perspective on risk. Is there anything that you think is a risk that we didn't cover that you think, you know, this is something that could really make the financial statements wrong that we want to think about? We'll mention a new accounting pronouncement, talk about the audit timeline, deliverables, um, and then a, a few other things. So, so that's really what we have um, on our agenda. 
and you can stop us at any time. We love that and ask questions. Um, so myself, uh, I'm Ben Mack. Uh, I'm an audit partner here uh, out of the, the Bay Area. Actually, my, my home office is out of San Francisco. Um, live here in the Bay Area. Been here for a long time. Uh, I, I work uh, all in healthcare, mostly in hospitals. Uh, and I'll even introduce a little bit Moss Adams. So uh, Moss Adams were, were a, a little over 100 years old, so you're not going to meet Moss and Adams. Uh, uh, we're uh, we're a, a little ways north of 2,000 staff, really west coast base. Uh, or our, our home base is out of Seattle. Uh, uh, we have, uh, I don't know, something around 15, 20 offices in California. Maybe six or seven of them in Northern California, something along those lines. Healthcare is our biggest group. So that's just a little bit about Moss Adams. Uh, I'll let Brian introduce himself. Uh, thanks, Ben. Uh, my name is Brian Connor. I'm a, also a healthcare partner. I'm the firm's uh, national practice leader for hospitals. Uh, and as Ben said, we're delighted to be working with you. Uh, I'm based out of Sacramento, so just down the road, uh, and spent a lot of time with. Uh, all of our hospitals and health systems throughout our footprint, uh, including our public systems. So, yeah, looking forward to working with you. So, we're going to highlight a few other things on here. Uh, Chris Pritchard runs our firm's healthcare practice. Um, you know, he's available to you as a contact. We may consult him on on various things. Liz Dollar is a partner who works really exclusively with charitable foundations. She's going to uh, be an important part of our our team on signing off on the foundation report um, uh, and, and then kind of on down the line we, we have specialists in their area helping out uh, as needed as either uh, tax reviewers and you might say why tax because there's a form 990 for the foundation um, uh, we have people like Kinman and Liz who were experienced people here out of the Bay Area who spend all their time in healthcare who will be serving you, uh, you know, running your day-to-day -day audit. Um, so we will see all of these people during the course of the audit period? Yes. Okay. Not necessarily at this, in this venue, but out, but, no, but work, working on your audit, yes. Yeah, the collective we. So. The collective we, yes. Um, Independent. So it's very important to us that we be independent. Uh, we have to be independent in order to to, to sign your audit report. Uh, so every time we meet with you, we confirm and we reconfirm our independence. Um, we're independent under generally accepted governing uh, governmental auditing standards um, because you get federal grant awards. So then those come into play. Um, the what would be termed as non-audited services that we're providing would be assisting management in drafting each of the sets of financial statements and footnotes and preparing the Form 990s and other ad hoc tax services. Those are explicitly allowed services. We feel very comfortable that we can do those things and not impair our independence. We don't currently provide any other services for you. Um, if we were ever going to do anything for you that we we even thought might our, uh, affect our independence, we discussed that with you in advance. So the definition of independence is that you're not doing other kinds of work for us that may, that may cloud your, that, that theoretically could cloud your judgment with respect to the audit, is that correct? Right, or that we don't have any other kind of relationships with you 
that might cloud our independence. I mean, a, another example of something that come could come up is is uh, um, you know if if uh, Rick gave me an outstanding job offer as his new deputy of internal audit, um, mm -hmm. you know, you might say, well, does that does that impair my independence? And that might be something that we would discuss. So. There could be there could be a variety of things that in theory could impair our independence. We're not aware of any of those that have come into play. Okay. And, and by the way, I'm I'm Jim Lucinetti. I'm uh, one of the uh, trustees and members of the uh, audit committee, but I'm happy not to be here today. So you just hear my voice. <laughs> Jim, pleased to make your acquaintance over the phone here. Pleased to um, voice meet you. All right. <laughs> um. So we'll move along here. Um, so our objectives here, what are, what are you asking us to do? So when we made this, there were three things. One of them has been removed um, by your management team, and we'll talk about why. So we're going to perform an audit of the health system, which includes health partners and the foundation. We're going to do a separate standalone audit of the foundation. Management has decided that they're not going to have this year a specific Standalone audit of health partners. That was going to be a question of mine, yeah. so I'm glad that's been called. Mm -hmm. And I, what they'd explained to us is, is due to the small amount of activity, push that back and talk about it next year. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your presentation, when it refers to three things here, uh, you know, three three sets of statements, etc. Well, that's that's going to be two now per per working with you. So our job is to express an opinion as to whether those financial statements are reasonably presented in all material respects um, with, with, with generally accepted accounting principles. That's, that's really what our mission is. As a, as a side product of that, we also hope to provide you with a few deliverables, such as you know, uh, possible control implement, uh, uh, matters that might come to our attention, there will be other communications that we're required to give you, but but really the gist of what we're doing is is we're we're providing an audit on the reasonableness of the financial statements. Uh, I didn't see on your list of areas of emphasis that you had anything related to risk management. Is that not something that you cover? Um, let's we're we're one slide away, and I mean really we've pretty much covered this next slide. So let's talk about areas of audit emphasis. Um, I'll just mention here, well, we've, we've really kind of covered this slide. This is, this is the purpose of an audit. So we, I'll hit this for a minute and then we'll get, that's a really great question. Um, so we're gonna formulate and express an opinion on the statements, communicate significant matters. If, if something such as a compliance matter came to our attention that we didn't think you knew about, um, we would let you know. Um, an audit is designed to provide reasonable rather than absolute assurance that the statements are, as a whole, are free from material misstatement. So that's what we're doing. We're looking for those caught by fraud or error. So is there something in there? And, and when we start to talk about compliance, um, you know, you'd say, is there a compliance matter that you knew about that should have been accrued and it wasn't? Um, that would be that would be an area. Of, of compliance, right? So if there was something you were doing out in the hospital to where you were going to get a, a CMS fine for, right? 
this audit is not designed to go out and find out if you're if you're doing those things that aren't correct in a hospital. Mm -hmm. um, it is designed to say if you know about it and there's knowledge of those kind of things, does the does the connection for that material item get made to the financial statements? Uh, is there a reasonable accrual for it? Um, one meeting we've already had with Mike was talking about, hey, what's the What's the risk management process? How do you find out about these kind of legal issues? How do they get communicated? How do you work with your insurance carrier? So that was kind of the front end of us learning about your risk management process and how we integrate that into the audit. Does that address your question about risk management? Not really, but that's okay. Uh, no, yeah. Thank you. That helps. That's what I so can you talk about how you decide what areas to audit? Uh, you're going to do a risk assessment, identify what could go wrong in financials, and do some testing. That's a that's a great that's a great point, and that'll segue us well into the the next slide. So we go through your financial statements, and we look at every area, and we say, where is there a likelihood of a material misstatement, um, and you know, materiality is a judgmental number, but we're talking about millions of dollars, no doubt, for an organization of your size. Um, and, you know, likely misstatements would include, um, uh, you know, things like estimates that might be wrong, uh, processes that are complicated. Um, uh, th those kind of risk factors would make you think that those things would be riskier. What we kind of gave you here is a list of areas to where on our first pass, and I'll be honest, this is before we'd really done, a, we made this before we'd been out and done virtually any meetings with you, so this is fairly preliminary. What we think are the most significant risk factors. Um, the biggest estimate in your financial statements is probably the USERA retirement plan. Okay. Having said that, you get an actual report from an outside source. So from your point of view, you're essentially recording that. So while it is a big estimate, on some fronts it's an exercise of recording to that amount and seeing that that's correctly done. And the underlying data of that is actually kind of audited by another party. Your management is getting that. The next biggest estimate and the biggest one that you make is patient accounts receivable. So that was, if memory serves me correct, something in the neighborhood of $115 million last year. That implies that, you know, if that estimate is off by 20%, well, that's, a, that's misstating your revenue by $20 million. That would probably be significant to you. That would make you feel different about how good or bad was this year, right? So that becomes a very key accounting estimate. Um, one of the first things that we're doing is we're doing a look back on last year to see how good is the estimate from last year, um, how good is uh, the current method at estimating the amount that you're actually going to collect. Um, that's that's one of the biggest areas that we will spend time on at year end. We'll look at cash received a couple months after year end. We'll look at your own model. We'll look at a decent number of analytics. Um, We've already, had, we've already been out and had meetings that I and others have been involved in where we've gotten to know both your monitoring and your model. Would you talk a little bit, I'm not quite certain I understand the issue of your assessment of estimates that you give us at the end of the year after we've already assessed, after we've already estimated and built 
build a budget and operated on an early estimate. I mean, so it's kind of like the horse is out of the barn already. What, what's the timeline? I mean, why, why would you be looking at estimates? Are you looking at prior next year's estimates or current year estimates? So, and the the financial statements are going to that we're auditing are going to be as of June thirtieth, twenty sixteen. And so we're going to issue those by plan. We'll talk about this in timeline in November, right? Okay. So you want to know, given all the information that you have about when you issue those statements, are these amounts as of June 30, 2016 correct? I see. Okay. So that's where it's really helpful to say, you know, a couple months after the year, the horse has kind of left the barn. You can start to get a pretty good idea with subsequent collection information, how good is that estimate? Looking back at last year's estimate right now, you can get a very good idea of how good was that estimate, right? Um, and it's a good measure of how accurate is your model at predicting how much money you're gonna actually collect. Does that answer the question? Yes, yes it does. Okay. And then through the process, are you able to kind of, if you see weaknesses in the, you know, either the internal monitoring or any of the other practices, kind of share best practices or other things with the group so that, you know, you can course correct or also, um, you know, how we compare with like organizations in terms of our own practices? Yes. Yes and yes. We like to do that. We're happy to do it. Um, I would say right now we're really in the learning all about right, you right. stage, um, but yes, that's something that we will and can do. Um, so we talked to, we talked about patient receivables, um, receivables and payables with the county, or you know, a lot of significant dollars there. We'll confirm those directly with with the county. Tax revenues and other governmental funding sources, so things like Measure A. Um, you know, the biggest trick there is is getting those right on an accrual basis. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between what you have a legal right to and recognize and what have you earned? A lot of that goes into really understanding the legal basis of each of those programs. Uh, Third-party settlements. So, you know, obviously a big there, one there is like a Medicare cost report. Uh, those can have a number of issues in them. Uh, you hire an outside firm to prepare those estimates. Uh, they can be for a number of issues. They'll be for uh, different issues at, at, at every place that, that, that uh, has, it, has its own license. Um, we'll, we'll look at those as an audit team with uh, a specialist on our team that just reviews and prepares third-party estimates as their full-time gig. Um, that'll be a team that at least includes a gentleman named Glenn Bunting. He's a director in our practice. He's done cost report estimates and this kind of work for 30 years. Um, and so we'll try to bring a lot of expertise to reviewing those estimates. Those are, those are very difficult estimates. Those things can take years to settle. Um, those can pretty easily become the softest estimates on your balance sheet. Self-insured portion of insured reserves. So some of that comes back to risk management. So workers' compensation, medical malpractice, uh, other things that you get sued for. Um, how do you correctly reserve for those amounts taking into account uh, your uh, insurance levels? What do you know? 
uh, would test the information that goes to the actuary to see that it's complete and accurate. Um, uh, that's certainly uh, a key a key area. Those sort of risk management type of liabilities are difficult to estimate. So we've got a couple more slides where we kind of went through this same exercise with the foundation and uh, health partners. But let's let's stop here and say, you know, you you got this kicked off perfectly. I think with a question about risk management. Are there other things that you would think would be key risks that should be on this slide? that you don't see on the slide that you see, you think, I'd, I'd like the auditors to really focus on that. Uh, not from my perspective, I, yeah. Well, I have, I have one, Ben. Um, it's, it actually is on your list, but I just, um, it's something that I, I would worry about personally, and that's um, the ACERA retirement plan. Now, like you said, it's, you know, it's third, you know, ACERA is its own organization, it's done actuary, all that stuff. But I worry that the, um, you know, uh, you know, bond yields, interest rates, and everything are, you know, seem to be down a lot. And they seem to be down a lot for a long time. And I worry that um, the, uh, that may not really be. Uh, I know, and I know that um, uh, pension accounting is uh, closely related to sorcery, but um, uh, you know, and that it's meant to be conservative. I, I, I worry that we may be um, under under reserved there. So, well, that's one of the things that we we do do in that area is take a look at the key yeah. estimates. Um, you have disclosures around there. Um, yeah. We look and we'd have discussion with management to say, you know, do you, do you ultimately accept these? Now, if you didn't, that would involve your management going back to a Sarah, which could could be yeah, quite which a process. is uh, which is fraud. So I, I think, yeah, I think, I mean, the answer may be recognizing that there's a risk, you right. know, that there's a risk rather than, uh, uh, you know, going, you know, going back and. Uh, it would be extraordinarily difficult to actually change that. So, but you least you uh, one thing uh, we can I'm talk to you. Concerned. I want to make sure that we recognize the risk, if there is one. Um, we we certainly agree so. with that. We rate that as a high risk item because it is yeah. so judgmental, and also because the bringing of it onto your financial statements is an unusual once a year item that involves yeah. some complicated accounting. Frankly, there's a lot of complex disclosures surrounding that retirement plan. We'll, we'll make a note to really talk to you about key assumptions that are in there at year end. You make yeah. a great point that the low interest rates both hurt the yield on the bond part of your investments, but worse yet, um, you know, you're not discounting back that liability at, at as big a rate. So uh, in, in that sense, it's not really doing you any favors. Yeah, so that, I mean, yeah. You, I mean, we have less income, but we also have a much bigger um, implied liability um, if the, you know, if we conclude the rate is, should be lower. So that's why I worry. And um, 
So this, uh, one question, this includes, uh, and Delvecchio, you might be, or Dave might be, the, the IT risk issues like we faced with, you know, ish system issues and things that, you know, payment accounts receivable stuff that has happened, like those are pretty, you know, that those, can, those can throw a lot of our GL things. Is that included, yeah, infused somewhere? Liability IT systems typically you do look at that? Yeah, yeah, certainly through uh, in the process. And that's what we're doing at this point. But uh, we really have to understand your control system uh, from a perspective that uh, it's hard to do an audit without understanding it, and it's required. Uh, so we go through. Uh, we, uh, as Ben talked about, have the opportunity to decide whether and how much of your control system we're going to rely on, mm -hmm. and that kind of dictates how much control testing that we're going to do. Uh, but generally, we'll pick your significant uh, control cycles and walk through those, and kind of overarching that is your information technology general control environment. You know, what is the access like, the security, et cetera. So we review all of that. Typically, uh, in most of our health systems engagements, uh, always in the first year, we'll have one of our IT specialists or a team of IT, IT specialists work with your team to help us understand how the system is functioning and therefore how that these system components feed into the overall control structure okay, and, of the and health system. And do you system. report on that as well? So it's not just your own, your own understanding of it, but if you see the discrepancies, you those are required for you to report. Yeah, if we see um, what we consider to be deficiencies in your control structure that meet a certain level, uh, we're required to report those to you in writing and required to continue to do that until they're remediated. Um, we are not, under this kind of reporting regime, required to opine on the operating effectiveness of your internal controls. Your favorite public stock out there, GE or whatever, their auditors under Sarbanes-Oxley are required not only to opine on the fairness of the financial statements, but also to tell the readers of the financial statements, here's how um, effective the internal control structure is, and here's whether there's any uh, um, loss of effectiveness in the operating uh, structure of that internal control system. We're not required to do that, but in the course of our looking through your internal controls, if we find something, we have to report it to you, and we do look at your internal control structure very closely. So would you talk a little bit about your relationship with our internal auditor, and just so I understand that link? I can, I can take that one. So I guess first off, in terms of our relationship with Rick, we're, we're just from a mechanical standpoint, uh, we've met with Rick fairly regularly since we've been engaged. And uh, we have a fair number of requests that, that seem to be rolling through Rick, and he's facilitating some things that we're getting. Um, at some point, too, we'll also sit down with Rick and get an understanding of what the results are of the IT projects that he's got ongoing and say, you know, frankly, are there any control blowouts that are known that are so big that we should make note to work around them from a financial statement audit standpoint? Um, um, there are also going to be times where we're going to try to use his expertise. I think IT is a pretty good example. Uh, I think we've already done that as we've uh, at least started to get an understanding of the IT environment. Um, 
you know, where the responsibility of internal audit is generally a little bit different is, is they'll, they could go into financial reporting projects, but they could also go into compliance issues. Uh, they could go into uh, functional issues. They could look at HR things, legal things, staffing, succession planning, whatever. We're really focused on are the financial statements right? So, for instance, in IT, um, uh, we're really focused on, hey, are there IT errors that could lead to a material misstatement in the financial statements that you wouldn't otherwise catch? Um, which is a which is a fairly high threshold, mm -hmm. as to where you know Rick might do a uh, segregation of duties audit, where they might go out and take um, you know 300 nurses and say what clinical systems do you have access to, and does it make sense that you have those? Um, from a financial statement audit, you could say it'd be pretty hard to connect the dots between nurse A having access to a telemetry system that she doesn't need and an unknown financial statement error. From an operational standpoint, it could be very, that could be very useful to find that out, right? So maybe that's kind of an example of a difference between what could be operational internal auditing and external auditing. Okay, that's and, helpful. And what's your relationship with the CFO? Um, I, I would think that we report to you and we work with management. So as your, uh, as your, that, I mean, I would, I would sum it up. We, we, we're working for you, the audit committee, as a designate, designees of the board of directors. But in order to do what we do, we get things from management and we ask them questions. Um, and we want to have a great relationship with them because we think that's what works best. Of course. Um, of course. But we're working for you and we're, we're, we're reporting to you and working for you and working with management. Well, I think what I'm really pleased about is uh, there seems to be a willingness um, since since uh, uh, David, Mr. Cox has come on board, is a, a willingness to really expose ourselves to and correct those areas. So we're interested in finding out what's wrong. So, um, and I trust that's that's part of the, the a positive process. Okay. Can I ask a clarifying uh, point uh, probably, uh, for Rick, uh, pursuant to the response to your last question? Are, are there are often uh, findings, uh, whether they are material or immaterial, from the audit that could either inform your audit uh, plan and or corrective actions from them that you will then, sort of on an ongoing basis, continue to monitor and and uh, uh, close the loop on. Is that is that? Also right. Anything reported in their report, uh, any findings, go on uh, a list that is reported at every audit committee meeting. Right. That's part of the tracking that and we I look at. And I keep following up and, and get those worked. Just wanted to make sure that that was understood mm -hmm. as well. Thanks. Thank you. And we may have a couple of classes of findings. We may have findings that come out of what I'd call the, the core financial statement audit. Um, Hey, you need a, you know, you need a better process uh, for estimating accounts receivable at Alameda Hospital. Here's where it's breaking down. Here's what you might consider doing. We also are doing a, a single audit of federal awards. For those, the thresholds are much lower um, because you are looking at a specific item. 
and when you find an error in those, um, the GAO's rules are very uh, prescriptive in regards to how you report them and what they are. Those will feel a little bit different. Um, you know, those, those are not pertaining to a material financial statement item. Those are pertaining to federal grants. So there could be comments of both uh, shades. We'll certainly make it clearer which is which. Mm -hmm. okay. and, and those would be followed up on. And you look also. at private grants as well. You know, outside source grants that come in, California grants. You know. Um, right. Okay. And I, I think when we talk about um, tax revenues and under other governmental funding sources, that's where that falls. Yeah, you know, there's about a hundred million a year of. Maybe it's 200 measure A's 100. Sorry, I'm getting to know all. Getting to know all that in detail is a big part of what we're doing in planning. Okay. And and yeah, understanding those kind of grant funding sources and the mechanisms around them uh, is very important. Clearly, they're material and, and they really relate to revenue recognition. A lot of times, the real question in these is is just because you've received the cash has the has the uh, criteria for revenue recognition been met? Mm -hmm. Or sometimes there's criteria where you haven't received the cash, but amazingly you've met the revenue recognition criteria. It really gets into a lot of questions about what are these underlying programs really saying? What are you attesting to? Um, th those are just really key things in a, in a governmental hospital like this. And that's where you know we use, uh, quite frankly, partner level expertise, uh, working on other clients like you helps because you've seen these programs before and we'll use our specialists too and your management team to help us understand them. Okay. <clears throat> uh, is there any objection to moving to the timeline? Are you? No, no objection. Jim, are you okay? Can we move to the timeline? That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. We'll, we'll move past, with the foundation we'll just say it's investments, revenue recognition on contributions. Um, so we've talked about that. We'll skip health partners. We've talked about risks. Um, and I'll, I'll turn it over to Brian here. One day. Sure. Thanks, Ben. Before we get to the timeline, I just want to mention your financial statements on June 30th, 2016 for that year end. Uh, we'll deal with implementing a new GASB pronouncement, mm -hmm. GASB being the standard setting board uh, for, GAP, for governments, uh, and that's GASB 72. Um, the standard setting body for private entities came out uh, kind of in the height of the financial crisis with a standard that related to disclosures and information around fair value estimates in your financial statements for those items that are measured at fair value. Typically for a health system, the most, the most significant item is an investment portfolio uh, to the extent that you have those. Um, and so that standard required a lot more information about the measurements at fair value. What are the inputs they're going in? How observable are those uh, in the general marketplace, et cetera? Gatsby's really adopted that standard uh, now three or four or five years later. Uh, so we'll have the opportunity uh, you will to implement that in the current year. It's really a disclosure thing. It's not going to change the balances and the line items in your financial statement, but it will add disclosures uh, to the extent that uh, it's material uh, to the investment portfolio. Your investment port portfolio uh, is material to the financial statement. It kind of walks down that path. Um, but we'll 
talk about the financial statements uh, in that new pronouncement at the end of the year when we get there. Uh, from a timeline perspective, we're uh, currently uh, in-house doing some uh, interim procedures. Uh, we had an audit committee meeting uh, to present the audit plan. On this is the audit committee meeting. This, this is. This was the original version, and the one you have in front of you is a little bit different. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. recognize where yeah. yeah. And so, you know, part of the process, it's, it's, it's an iterative process where you go through uh, we come in, document your control systems, test those control systems, understand the organization, communicate with you in this meeting uh, our assessment of risk, etc. Uh, we'll go through and do final field work based on um, those kinds of assessments, uh, and we'll plan our procedures uh, based on that. Uh, you know, we would expect that that field work kind of happens uh, the second half of August through the beginning of September. Uh, then we'll move into a phase to close down the audit, uh, finalize the financial statements, go through review with our internal teams, uh, management, etc. Ultimately with a um, audit committee meeting on November 2nd to communicate the results of the engagement and go over the financial statements uh, with this committee. Usually you know, what we would uh, say to any audit committee is that's the plan. If there's something that the audit committee needs to be aware of prior to that ending date, something in a matter of significance or immediacy that you need to understand, we'll reach out to make sure we communicate to you. As Ben said, uh, it's a relationship where we are working for the audit committee. Uh, so if there's anything that the audit committee needs to know uh, ahead of time, we will initiate that contact. Otherwise, we look forward to um, reviewing the results of our engagement uh, on all the items that we talked about towards the beginning of November and issuing uh, right after that meeting. Any questions on the timeline plan? Uh, I do think it might be important while you come to the audit committee that uh, because we are so small at this point that you put on the calendar an opportunity to come and talk to the entire board once you've issued the final assurance so that, uh, and it doesn't have to be a lengthy conversation, but I do think it would be important for the entire board to accept the financial report. I would agree. And we typically, we can, we, that's very common, and we can go through in uh, some manner of detail with the audit committee and the basis for our conclusions, et cetera, and then do a very high-level summary with the board. That would be about. great. Here's, the, here's what the financial statements look like, very overall summary of the engagement. Perfect. Mm -hmm. We'll work with the... Uh, management team to get that calendar. Thank you. And then from a deliverable perspective, I think Ben covered this earlier, uh, you know, we'll have a report uh, on the financial statements that we talked about um, that will be included with the financial statement. I mean, one of the things that Ben may have touched on that's really important is the financial statements are the responsibility of your management mm -hmm. team. Uh, our responsibility is really the opinion that comes with that. Uh, and so that's the relationship uh, dynamic and how that works. So we'll present the uh, financial statements with our report related to those. And there's two other items that we typically have from a deliverable perspective. One is a report on uh, your internal control structure. And as we talked about, any matters that we identify that may affect that, uh, we will present that to you. That may also include some best practice kinds of comments, et cetera. Uh, and then we have a report uh, to those charged with governance, which is the audit committee, which is 
um, items that were required and should be reporting to you, whether there were significant adjustments to the financial statement, if we've had difficulties in conducting the audit, if there were um, disagreements in audit procedures or implementation of GAAP, that kind of stuff, we're required so, to report so do that you to you. So do, do you do a statement of findings? Is that the idea? Yeah, so we'll have a, a, a statement of findings is a, a, a good way to put that, a report on internal control matters uh, that, meet, that rise to a certain level and we can also include other matters in there that we think you should consider. And, and where is the opportunity in that period of time for management to not not to convince you or any of those other things, but to be able to uh, respond to findings that you have that may that you may have missed something? Yeah. So typically, what we do is it, it's a it's a multi-step process. So we'll identify something. We'll come to David and his team, say hey, we we found this tell us what we're missing right here. So we'll work through with management to agree on the facts, um, agree on you know kind of the nature of the binding, uh, et cetera. And so that's a process that we work through. Ultimately, what we'll do is we'll write that up, uh, present that to management, agree on the wording, and then typically we give them uh, an opportunity to respond, a manager response um, section in the report. So when you see our findings, we'll have, here's a finding, Here's management's response okay. to the finding. That will be included in the information that the audit committee uh, sees. So you have a chance to evaluate the finding and management's response to that finding. But typically, that occurs after we've gone through a significant vetting process where we make sure we understand the facts. And it's not unheard of that we, we don't have a critical piece of information that changes the well, from the boards, and, and that's my my world was very much that same way. That there was a, a management conversation, and then you would report a finding, and management has an opportunity in writing to be able to say yes, the right on, and we'll fix it, or we don't believe that this is is the case, and you can stand on your ground, and they can stand on ours, and then the board needs to make a determination. And so uh, I do think that that's an important opportunity for our accountability to make certain that we can see the variations of opinions that come through on, on a matter of such importance. Yeah, typically we'll, we'll attempt to, to build consensus on that with management to make sure that we agree on the facts. Sometimes if we've got to a position where we, we agree to disagree, we'll tell you that and you'll see both sides of it uh, related to the fight. That's fine. Thank so, you. Uh, and you know, I'm a novice at this. I'm much more uh, facile with the operations part of it. Finance is not my... Um, strong point. So when you give the financial statements to the auditors, there's some kind of analysis, discussion or something that's given along with, uh, with it, Dave, or only if asked for? How does, that, how does it work at the granular level? <clears throat> you um, just see the you, statement or is there some background? Yeah, there's the, Gasby, sorry to jump in uh, on top of David. The uh, Gasby requires uh, in its standards that management prepare what they call an MDNA to the financial state, management and discussion and analysis uh, section. And it has some standards over what should go in and, and specific areas that should be covered. Uh, so typically that's management's opportunity to provide some color uh, and some discussion around the basic financial statements and notes, which are pretty prescriptive. Uh, so in the financial statement uh, package that you get, you'll have our opinion uh, on the financial statements themselves, you'll have an, an MDNA section, which is management's so discussion, fair. which you know will help them 
uh, prepare from a wording perspective, uh, word processing perspective, but we don't take any responsibility for the MDA. We're not auditing that part of the financial statements. And then you'll have the financial statements, which we opine on, which is the balance, the statement of net position, uh, classic income statement, statement of revenues, and all the notes there too. So the report will contain the DNA. MDNA, exactly. MDNA. That's good because that gives a lot of context sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it gives you some perspective on, uh, you know, what happened during the years to the extent that, uh, you know, it's not obvious in the face of the financial statements. And now it also has some uh, forward-looking uh, kind of discussion on uh, future economic impact. So, thank you. And, and does our internal auditor play in that, or just the the CFO and, and his staff. It really depends on the organization who they. Can. I just don't want to take back his five-year plan. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I earned that five-year plan. <laughs> I think typically what we do, it's a really strong MDNA. I'm sure he'll take credit for it if he doesn't like it. And so he'll say he had nothing to do with it. Yeah. All right. Thank you. This is yeah, you, you bet. So that's our uh, deliverables, and then just finally, um, uh, a couple items. Uh, uh, keeping you informed from a board perspective, um, we have a number of um, informational kinds of things about what's going on, uh, not only from an accounting perspective, from a, but from a healthcare industry perspective. So, to the extent that you're interested that uh, interested in that from a board perspective, we're happy to keep you uh, in that loop. It's something that we often share with management. Uh, you know, we have webinars. Uh, uh, papers that we write, articles, etc. We also have a healthcare conference at the beginning of November uh, that really covers what's going on in the industry, kind of a thought leadership uh, perspective. So if you're interested in that, uh, we'd love to have you engage uh, with that. But that's uh, our prepared presentation. I'll kind of stop and ask if there are questions. I sense this group is uh, um, freely asked questions when they come to mind, and that's a good yes, thing. That's what we, we love about it. Yeah, yes, we but, do. But if you happen to save any for the end, uh, now's a good time. I don't know if... You invited that at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly so. so. I just want to make that. certain yeah, that, absolutely. that you didn't think we were rude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jim, do you have any questions that you want to ask? Well, I, I had one question. Um, what are some of the things that you find that when, when, when people think auditor, they think you do, but you don't do? Because I, I, I find sometimes people get, um, you know, confused or auditors get in the get in the wrong spot because people think they do stuff. Well, I'm still trying to explain to my wife of 12 years what I do. She still has no idea. All right. Well, so it's well, when, a, you figure, when, 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 when you can explain it to her, get back to us. It's, well. it's difficult, but you know what? Maybe I'd focus on what we do do. What we are trying to do is say your financial statements are materially correct. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what we're... Well, the classic one is you, you don't do a forensic analysis to find fraud. <laughs> yeah. We, we're yeah. looking for fraud that would be caught, that would end up in material misstatements in the financial statement. Yeah. Um, the flip side is, is that we're not going out and looking to see, um, you know, is at every point of service where hopefully you're doing diligent cash collections, um, you know, is, is $20 getting slipped in the pocket at the cafeteria over there? Um, I hate to say it, but it probably is, frankly. Uh, but that doesn't mean, actually, that your cash is misstated even, right? I mean, your cash, is, as long as you're counting it up right at the end, your, your cash, is sadly, is correct, right? So 
we're not doing a, a detailed fraud analysis for every $50 item that's wrong. It's sad, it's unfortunate, but it's never going to make your financial statements wrong. Um, so, you know, that maybe that's kind of a misconception. We're looking for things that are making your financial statements wrong. Anything yeah. to add to that? No, I think that's, you said it well. And I, Jim, I think the, um, the, the most, the biggest disconnect, I think, between what we're doing and expectations of what we might be doing center, centers around that concept of materiality. And what is materiality and what does that mean um, to the typical user of the financial statements? When you look at your financial statements, uh, when you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in total assets and total revenues, you know, typically we'll start with a quantifiable measure of materiality that might be 3% of total assets, 3% of net revenues. So when you think about that in those financial statements, that's a pretty big number. Mm -hmm. um, that's how we kind of plan our audit. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're not testing anything below that number, uh, but I think that can create the biggest uh, expectation gap between mm -hmm. what we're doing and what people think we're doing. You opened the door for this question now. Um, if you guys don't do that, how does one discover fraud? And why I ask that question is if you read our local paper, there was on the front page somebody who, who uh, in his work got $17 million in fraud. And I'm thinking, good heavens, how long did it take that person? And it, so when do you discover those things? Uh, I mean, who discovered? You don't. Well, Who, if, how if, does if that they discover, curse? they'll tell you. That's you? Yeah. That doesn't yeah. answer the question. That's you? So, Sometimes. Go ahead, Rick. So while they're, you're not looking for fraud, things come up. Uh, sometimes you happen to stumble across a transaction that takes you down a path that turns out to be a big fraud. Uh, we're going to talk about it in a few minutes when we talk about the audit primer of what an audit really does and doesn't do, which kind of uh, relates to this discussion. But most frauds are not found because you were looking for it. It's because somebody reports it or you accidentally stumble across it. Well, in an organization as large as ours or some other organization, not necessarily ours, but why don't you look for fraud? I mean, why doesn't... It, someone look for fraud. So I, I'd say a couple of things. One, there, there's standards that dictate how what we do with fraud in an audit. And there are certain procedures that we'll do specifically to go out and look for fraud. Those are amongst the only things that we won't communicate to management before we actually do them, as a side note. Um, but I, I think for you guys being, uh, you know, Cash at point of service is really a classic one. Anytime that someone can put their hands on greenbacks, um, you know, even if it's a small number, if they do it for 30 years in a row, it, it gets to be a pretty gaudy number. Um, so maybe that would be an area where you would look at organizational risk and you would say, what are we doing at controls there? From a financial statement standpoint, one thing that we definitely would think would be important is not just looking to see that you're reconciling cash, and I know we were having these conversations today when I was in the audit room, but how vigorously are you reconciling cash? 
you know, are these reconciling items being followed up on? I mean, at, at your entity where someone stole $17 million in cash, at some point, something had to look weird on a cash reconciliation. Now, I bet that was the guy that was reconciling cash. So, does the guy who's reconciling cash have access to cash? I mean, that would be a control that we'd be really worried about. Um, um, I mean, kind of circle back, you know, you could have specific things where you, you're doing audits looking just for fraud, um, you know, and I think you could, you could think that a financial statement is looking for, you know, large, high-level material frauds. It, you know, and Michelle, I would say just to sort of <coughs> follow up on that, you know, the, the, our risk management and compliance functions are, in effect, you know, fraud-seeking. I mean, those are processes which are in place, which are designed to look at things where fraud might occur or where something which is out of the ordinary is likely to occur and have some opportunity to you know, actually discover it. And so, you know, what Ben was talking about, you know, at the, you know, um, you know, um, you know controls over point of sale. Well, part of our risk management structure says, okay, we have these various operations which involve the transfer of cash, you know, who do we assign to those jobs, you know, how do we rate them and all, and that's part of a risk management function. Uh, the compliance piece of it is, you know, perhaps, you know, monitoring that, and then we have the internal audit piece, which is, what you know, part of what Rick goes through, you know, each year to sort of identify those areas where there are likely or potentially likely to be problems. And so, in terms of, you know, hunting fraud, it's from a standpoint of, you know, testing the systems that we have in place or looking for the systems that we have in place which were most likely to preclude fraud, the opportunity for a fraud to occur. So, but, but fraud, I guess in my definition of fraud or my concept of fraud, is larger than just issues of cash and money. So, no, um, no, absolutely. And yeah. so do we have someone in the organization that that is their role? And I'll give you examples. Um, putting uh, unqualified people on our insurance program, you know, uh, aunts and uncles or cousins or, um, or overtime, overtime that has not been served. Um, I mean, those are the kinds of things that... So, for example, our credentialing process. Our credentialing process, you know, with the medical staff is designed to make sure that those people are they're competent, they're qualified, and that they're assigned to work that is within their expertise. You know, the hiring processes. HR has a, their own compliance function, which basically, you know, creates standards for developing job descriptions and you know, evaluating performance and monitoring you know, that, that all of those things have occurred, that the performance reviews are being conducted and all those types of things. So, you know, each, you know, everything that we do has some, arguably has some process which is designed to test how effective it is at whatever it is, you know, that we've intended. So if we are supposed to conduct performance reviews, we have a process which measures, you know, how accurate or how, um, you know, the you know, that performance reviews are conducted in a timely fashion and that they're basically, you know, done, you know, according to, you know, what the planner process is. Um, so, you know, I understand, you know, what you're saying in terms of, you know, 
specific items and whether or not you can discover those. But again, we, we do it from the standpoint of looking periodically at what we do from a larger basis and trying to identify those areas where it's most likely to be a problem or an issue and then focusing on those. And that's part of what you know Rick does in terms of developing his annual audit plan to expand. And I say it's part of what I do. You know, I sit here, I listen to things that happen, and you know, part of my job is to you know, ask the question or, or wonder, okay, have we missed something? Is there something else that we should be doing regarding these, you know, if some incident or some issue comes up? Um, and then depending upon you know, you know, what I think or don't think about that, then you know, perhaps going to Rick and saying we need to add something here or, or raising up some other process as far as it goes. I do like your suggestion, Ben. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I wasn't going to say anything, so I'll try to uh, brief. I, I think um, if I understand sort of the, 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 um, the sentiment underlying the question, it is, you know, can we, can we create an organization that is uh, fraud-free because we have processes to actually, or that we can detect fraud um, wherever it may occur as quickly as it's occurring, and we don't have some situation where... <laughs> it could uh, uh, exist uh, uh, unbeknownst to us for a considerable period of time before it's discovered. And I think the sad uh, but, but honest answer is probably no for, uh, for any organization, but certainly one of this size, uh, because I think the resources that, it would, that would be required to do that would far outweigh what you might actually uh, detect and or prevent by looking at every area where fraud could occur and dedicating resources to actually trying to uh, uh, tamp that out when, whenever and however it might occur. Now, that stated, I think everything, uh, I agree with everything Mike said, that there are um, mechanisms built into everything that we do that should provide reliable um, uh, protections against uh, people, you know, wanton behavior. It, they don't uh, uh, exclude it um, completely. Um, uh, there are countless examples in any number of organizations. I, re I read two this morning within our profession, uh, one that was a, uh, a hospital CFO who had left an organization and it was discovered that this person had done some embezzlement uh, while they were at that last organization uh, uh, and that it occurred over a number of years. Uh, I read another one, ironically, about a cafeteria worker um, uh, who was responsible for handling petty cash uh, that was over a period of, I want to say, it was in the teens, 12, 15 years or something like that, uh, had uh, amassed an um, 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 amount of money that they had siphoned from the organization to the tune of over a million dollars that did, just didn't get caught because it was a petty cash account. Many people were sourcing it, and it seemed to reconcile out all the time until it did get caught, and then they did a... Uh, a uh, investigation and actually, I think, trace track the person while they committed the act and discovered that. Yeah, I think it was like yeah, two point two million. I mean, yeah. I appreciate the response. This may may well be a function of, of public institutions and not just mm -hmm. not just our hospitals, but um, in part because the resources are not there to be able to do as you say. Um, I just think, as a board, the idea of making certain that an organization isn't bleeding green right. is is really crucial. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, while I applaud the issues of uh, making certain that we're monitoring compliance, um, I do think that there has to be a 
a vigilant effort to really look at those those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, as you know, we've talked about time cards and issues in the past that ultimately end up costing the organization organization money. And mm -hmm. um, and could they have been helped? I don't know because mm -hmm. you weren't looking at them. So I, I, I the yeah. question is, we don't have dedicated source to look at it we look at it as it occurs well no 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 that's that I, I that's not the response i was giving to you I, I we do have resources that do it it's just we don't have a resource to do that level of dedicated uh um uh risk analysis for every single thing all the time oh, to be that's what I'm saying. yes so I so right so we have uh areas where we're focusing based off of a risk based off of organizational changes based off of you know, uh, uh, evidence that th this sort of thing is uh, rampant in the industry. It's not just uh, public. Uh, certainly for public, the exposure is greater because, you know, it's taxpayers' dollars, it's publicly uh, uh, available, but but it's private organizations as well, I, I would uh, contend. Um, but it is, I think it's a challenge to be able to say with any degree of certainty that any organization could say 100% all the time there is no fraud in the organization. Right. Yeah. Thank you. I do, I do Thank like uh, Ben your suggestion that given the you know limited bandwidth and capacity, to be kind of sometimes thinking outside the box and intentionally thinking where might be those areas that we haven't focused on, where it might be, and kind of relooking at it from time to time. So thanks for that. Well, um, I will move the agenda along. Anything else, gentlemen? We can. If there are no further <coughs> questions. Thank you for having Okay, thank, thank you, you for coming. I appreciate I know that's been difficult for you to organize your time and your calendar, so we appreciate your time. Thank Sounds you very thank much. Thank you very much. Can I get you guys to stay while we talk about the audit primer just in case there's any additional We'd be happy to. comments? Am I up now? Yes, that's fine, Rick. I think we kind of covered much of that audit primer stuff. I, I think we have. I just wanted to make sure that we were all comfortable. Uh, uh, I think a lot of this was covered in the uh, Moss Adams presentation. Mm -hmm. And we're using sampling, we're using judgment, we're using management representations. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's things that impact it, but uh, basically it's reasonableness of the financial statements. Right, I think. Yep. Okay. Okay, thank you. Oh, thank you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, then let's talk about compliance. Okay. So uh, we've talked about it a few times before, but the compliance program is built on the seven components of a compliance program, program as defined by the Office of Inspector General guidance. Uh, we make sure we have a compliance officer, we uh, communicate, we train, we uh, audit, we, we have the hotline in place so we get those reports. Uh, I think that everything is good where we have a compliance program in place. Uh, we have a number of issues being reported still, uh, but it has slowed down just a little bit, thank goodness. What's the difference between compliance and complaint? If someone fires, uh, files a complaint or, or, or voices a complaint, um, I'll give you sexual harassment as an example. Uh, that depends on if it comes in to the compliance department. 
If it comes in, it's to considered to be a compliance issue until it gets resolved. It goes on our list. We work with uh, HR or whoever we need to work with to get it resolved. So we actually do have a number of HR issues that are reported through the compliance hotline and we put it on uh, the list. We refer it to HR. So are you the single source for complaints and compliance? No. What, where, what are those sources, those uh, places? It could be anywhere. Uh, it could come in through quality. It could come in directly to HR. Uh, how, it, would we, how do we track those? How does the board track those? So, so what we're seeing is what comes to you. But yes. how do we know of, of complaints that are in the organization of other kinds of safety issues or... Um, uh, safety type issues would come in through the quality department and be reported through QSCP. So Satira, Karen, those, those, that group is depending on the clinical and the operational stuff and you will so handle... So we work with quality, uh, we work with HR, if something gets reported to them that uh, is of a compliance nature, they're going to communicate that to me uh, and that as goes my on staff your, that to work. Goes on that would report. then go on my list. Okay. Okay. So things funnel to you for... For, for compliance. compliance. For compliance. And if I get a report that I think is quality, safety, HR, I refer that to them because I'm not going to work those type of issues. Okay. So, so if, um, if a individual uh, hostile work environment and they might go to Jeanette, does, uh, to personnel office. Yes. Do those things come back to you and it's reported here? How does a board monitor all the, the compliance kinds of complaint issues? Uh, that used to be handled through the HR committee and uh, based on the restructure, I don't know where that goes to now. Okay. Uh, the only thing that I report out here is uh, the compliance issues that come in through the hotline. Well, to me, any issue that comes in through the hotline or is reported directly to me. Okay. So the compliance hotline, that's what's, that's what's in reported on this dashboard? Yes. Okay. And I would like to take this opportunity to introduce part of my staff, who is our huge audience out here, uh, Akimi Wren is my compliance manager who uh, does a lot of the investigations for these issues. Okay. And since she's in attendance. Nice to meet you. And her name was what again? Uh, Akimi Wren. Wren, okay. Okay, and so you can see on the dashboard, count the dashboard. So I've attached the dashboard for uh, compliance, and uh, again, HR is our predominant issue. We have a lot of billing issues. Uh, it, so, it so Rick, continues I guess what, I get, what I'm getting at, and, and I found this, I found this difficult in my profession too, um, is to figure out 
whether or not we were improving or people weren't reporting. And that's always the difficult uh, thing. So when I look at this, one could draw the conclusion that we have made great progress in our issues of compliance. When you look at the bar graph compared to 2015 to 2016, but how do we know that in fact it's an improvement in the culture versus a, uh, a laissez-faire, I, you know, nothing's getting done so I'm not going to report anyway? That's a difficult one to answer. Uh, now, this time last year, we were just starting the program, so anything that we reported was more than we got before. Uh, we've actually made a lot of strides in communicating what the program is and does, and we're getting called more and more to come and talk to people about the program. So the word is getting out there. Uh, I would expect that reports would increase unless uh, people aren't identifying them. So uh, if they see them, they know who to call now and who will work those issues. Delvecchio, are there things on this report that are also on the employee survey? So if you compared the dashboard to the responses from the employee surveys, how close are they in? Um... This is a great question. Uh, we're, we're just getting the uh, results from the employee survey, so we haven't uh, scrubbed them against any other sort of in indicator to see if okay. there's a, a correlation, uh, and certainly you know, either overall or by site, if you will, uh, as, as the report is uh, reflected here, but we can, we can certainly do that. Um, I was going to say, I think, to, to uh, Rick's earlier point, uh, it, it is, I think, always a challenge, like you were saying, you probably experience in education, uh, uh, for these types of things to, to draw too um, heavily a conclusion from uh, data that relies on the input of, of, of individuals, uh, because you know there's there's different sort of uh, factors that go into what's happening at any one period of time. Um, right. I think, uh, and I believe, uh, although Rick could, could confirm this, that. Um, for example, in our in our uh, safety reporting that happens through our, our safety reporting tool, which is uh, changing uh, with with the Midas uh, changes, like we will occasionally get multiple reports of one incident, and so when we report it out, if it's the same incident, the indicator may say you know one incident occurred, not that we got three reports because the material value is the frequency or mm -hmm. the type of an event and the frequency, not how many people reported the same event. Uh, so uh, I, I, I think there's probably less overlap in terms of getting multiple reports about any one instance of a situation that you would have to do that type of reconciliation. But that is one thing that we're looking at in the other uh, sorts of context. So we're, we're always, there's a couple of things from a management perspective that we often have to kind of do some deeper analytics around why something, uh, let's say, you know, if there's a report that the environment is, uh, that people are still feeling that there's a, an unsafe environment. Um, uh, but then we look at the reports of uh, safety incidents and it's going down. That could, those two things could coexist. Part of that could also be, you know, there's, there's different staff who are reporting certain things and so their perceptions are, um, you know, to make the collective is, is sort of missing the point that there are people who are reporting something that 
in one context who might not have reported in a different context. Well, I, I think that, you know, the, the idea of multiple measures really gives you a much better sense of, and so that was what prompted my question, right. because we see this and, uh, and it's only one measure. Mm -hmm. So I, I just wanted to make certain that, or not make certain, just inform myself that, that you are looking at several different dashboards to draw the conclusion. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can feel just in the four years that I've been here a different tone in the organization, mm -hmm. but it's that's a subjective perspective and would like to be able to, as a board, see definitive kinds of things that show me, you know, reporting gone down, compliance is up, yeah. you know, all of those kinds of things. Um, yeah. So okay. Yeah, we 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 certainly want to do that too. I think that the the more we can encourage, you know, uh, all the right things that we want—a safe environment, an engaged workforce, all those sorts of things—we uh, uh, we want as many indicators as possible to reflect that. Um, it also one of the other major challenges, as you might appreciate, is uh, uh, the collective bargaining environment, and yes. we will have ebbs and flows in how people Absolute feel about course. certain things that Absolutely. could be completely unrelated to what's going on, but yeah. it's that underlying. There's a, a, a sort of environment or um, energy we need to create around a certain thing that you know might foster. No, this is how we feel versus you know all the rest of the time when we may feel that this is okay. Right. So, so. Right. But you're right. I mean, we 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 uh, certainly think about this from the empirical, but also the subjective uh, um, manner. Okay. Thank you. Sure. So I mentioned earlier that. Uh, the word is getting out about compliance. We did have the corporate competency modules this year, uh, which had compliance modules in it, and all employees were required to take that, and it was uh, supposed to be done by May 16th. Uh, on a follow-up today, I think there's about 50 people corporate-wide out of 4,500 employees that have not taken the corporate competencies yet, and those are mostly temps or uh, SAN employees, and we are following up diligently with them now to make sure that they take those before they come and, and work some more. What is that? It doesn't mean anything to me, corporate competencies. I have no idea what that is. We have uh, training modules through the HR department on what uh, every employee needs to know about how things work in the industry or in, in healthcare environment. Uh, things like correct procedures for washing hands, uh, airborne pathogens. I mean, there's there's a lot of these modules out there. You have to take them online. You have to pass a test. Okay. Uh, we have a complete module on compliance. This is what compliance means. This is what we do. Here's how you report. Let's uh, see, see a Kimmy. So <laughs> the others have all. Yes, everyone else has taken it, and well, if you don't take them, then ultimately you get suspended okay, and so potentially terminated if you don't take them. It's How required. long do they have to take them? Uh, it was supposed to be done by May 16th, but because they're temporary or part-time people, <clears throat> they may not have been here. Uh, they've been given 45 days to take them or don't come back until it's done. Okay. He's going to jump in here and say... It would be good for the board to take these. They're not that hard. You learn. It's simple. But you learn a lot about it. We, I'd we, love to we, do And we that. had those in, in education as well. You had to take everybody. Suzanne, to set that How up. How might we do that? Is there a way we can... Yes. Uh, I could get happen? them assigned. Yeah. 
<laughs> Give us a deadline too. No, I think it'd be Rick. good. For well, that might be a good thing for to put on a board evaluation is whether or not yeah. we've taken yeah, the corporate competencies. Sure. I would love that. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let, let's let's review it first. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> 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 yeah. Wash my hands. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, if it's, you know, about, I mean, I'm thinking if there's a lot of modules about hand washing, that's interesting, but I hope we don't need to, I hope we're not in a position where that's relevant as trustees. But, um, uh, you're in a hospital. I like the concept. <laughs> I like the concept. Okay. Uh, status of the 2016 compliance plan. Uh, I consider the plan to be on time. Uh, we have the program built. Uh, I've done reviews. I've been uh, considering the regulatory roadmap and uh, future plans. Uh, like I said, the corporate competency training has been essentially completed. I think we're at 98%. So, so your compliance is June 30 is your end. It, that's when you're you're working on that calendar? Yes. But this was the June 1 report. So I I will be following up and, and doing the last reports at the next meeting. Okay. So, Rick, where are you putting in and identifying those things we talked about relative to the Toyon report? Uh, that will be under the uh, audit uh, presentation starting uh, in September. Okay. Okay. Not on the issue tracking or anything? It will be issue tracking, oh. but it will be as part of the audit presentation. Okay. okay. Uh, so the only thing that will not be done for the compliance plan this year is uh, the CDI clinical documentation improvement project which we were going to participate in just to make sure that whatever training was rolled out for uh, providers on clinical documentation that we had that same training and uh, if somebody asks us for guidance we don't give contradictory advice and that uh, project has been delayed and it will be rolled out sometime later this year but we don't know when so we we will participate if that ever happens but uh, at this point we don't know is that because we're waiting for the new CMO to come in and kind of put these things in I think it's been a resource issue that they didn't identify the resources to actually roll out the project okay. uh, so the 2017 compliance plan I've uh, put together a kind of an aggressive model and it was based on adding a new position to my budget this year uh, which would be doing auditing and uh, training for providers on how to bill properly how to so this is a this is a training project that you're. I suppose when I looked at this, I was concerned about. Is this? You're looking at page. I'm looking at. I'm looking at page 36. So this is your 2017 plan. compliance plan. Yeah. And I was looking at the compliance plan project. Yes. Compliance plan project schedule. Mm -hmm. Okay. And these are trainings. Is that what you're showing us? Uh, no. So uh, I, I suppose what 
I wanted to know if your schedule here. I'm going to be adamant about finding out, and in part because I think it's important that when I when I reread the Toyon report, and I did that this week, I feel really comfortable that David has done a significant job in moving those issues forward. But. I want to make certain that there is a second view mm -hmm. so that we can stand strong if there is a criticism from the county. And we talked about this at the last meeting. So I'm really interested, and I believe Kinkinney was, and I think Dave was too, when we talked about it at last meeting, that we wanted to make certain that there was some review of those things that were essential in that Toyon report that we get you as the auditor to make certain that you are protecting David and that you are confirming that those things have in fact been done. Right. And I will have a follow-up on Toyon uh, every audit committee meeting. So could you put it on your schedule? Yeah, you know, I I'm think... I'm not understanding. Okay, this is the compliance schedule. Not the audit. Not the audit schedule. Not the audit schedule. The audit schedule we talked about uh, June 10th. Okay. We, because of the issue with the uh, uh, attendance at the last meeting and the number of agenda items, we split the agenda. I presented the audit piece on June 10th, and I was doing the auditor presentation and the compliance piece today. Okay. I beg your pardon. I, so I, that my, will be... It's my lack of understanding. Okay. So that will be on the audit schedule uh, going forward. Okay. okay, so as far as the compliance schedule, and maybe I should just combine these in the future and make an audit and compliance schedule uh, you, if, if that would be You, you don't more have to helpful. do that for me, and I, and I don't want to cog this meeting, like Kinney and, and Jim. The difficulty I have is that these statements mean nothing to me. I don't know what it is you're doing. I have no idea what this means. Investigating coding audits. What does that mean? OIG extension list. Oh, well, I don't know what those there, are. There is a narrative on page 34 which gives, which explains what each of the items is. Well, I did read it. I mean, I'm, okay. I did read it. Okay. Just, well, we can. Is that, an, is that, you're saying it's not enough to really be clear what it is for it each isn't. of them? Okay. It isn't. But maybe I don't need to know that, uh, you know? Maybe no, that's... I, I think it'd be important <coughs> that you Kitty understands this and Jim understands this, I'll just take a, no, no, a tutorial should. and spend time trying to figure out what it means. <laughs> yeah. or, or spend some time with the compliance guy and he can explain it. Uh, so what I tried to do here was to identify short titles on what the projects were going to be, and then I provided some narrative in the report about what that really means. Uh, so the privacy access audits would be looking in medical records to see uh, if people that were not authorized to look at medical records have actually looked at them, which would be a HIPAA violation. Uh, we've had some occurrences in the past. We get periodic reports that uh, somebody has done that inappropriately, and we have to go in and look. And then we take, uh, we work it with HR to take corrective action. Uh, security risk assessment, that would be looking at our environment, looking at how things work, 
Uh, are we securing data? Are people walking away from their uh, desktops and leaving their computer on with uh, somebody's medical information prominently displayed? Are they throwing their trash, uh, confidential trash, into uh, an unsecured waste basket and anybody can walk by and pick it up? Uh, there's a lot of things to comply with uh, security rules on privacy. Uh, teaching physician audit, uh, just looking at the way that we document our uh, encounters, uh, as how they're supervising residents, making sure that everyone is doing the right thing, that uh, attending physicians or supervising physicians are signing off on the work that's being done and that we're billing appropriately either as uh, a supervised resident or as an attending doctor. You can't uh, have a resident billing by themselves unless special circumstances. Uh, physician non-monetary compensation, uh, there are stark rules that say you can't uh, have more than $360, $390 a year in, in compensation outside of your normal salary. So you're not supposed to be whining and dining physicians or giving them extra money for uh, incidentals or you violate Stark, you're in trouble. So uh, investigative coding audits, just looking at documentation, making sure that services were actually performed, that we're billing appropriately. Uh, OIG exclusion list, we've talked about that one uh, at previous meetings, but uh, basically if somebody's been indicted on, an, on a charge that's healthcare related, they should not be employed again. And so we have to do periodic reviews of our uh, employees and contractors to make sure we're not employing any of those people. And I did a review of that uh, in the last few months. We'll talk about those results in a minute. Uh, but it, it's an ongoing thing because you never know when somebody's name's going to pop up and you hire new people every day. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was just wondering that after having found just one person from like before 1990, that they still made it on your list of priorities because you're hiring on such at such a rapid yes. pace and it might not be many but it still might be they might have been okay when they got hired but the courts take a while and now all of a sudden they get convicted and we wouldn't know about it because we only checked it once uh -huh, okay. um, the Thank physician you. e and audits training uh, so we've looked at evaluation and management codes. This is your, your basic uh, physician visit. And depending on the nature of your uh, complaints, it could be a basic visit or it could be extended visit. And we got to make sure that those are billed appropriately because it's different levels of reimbursement. Uh, and then ongoing compliance training, policy reviews and updates. So, so those are the things we're trying to do from a compliance perspective. And uh, like I said, this is really based on getting an extra position put in the budget. We're still working through that budget process. Uh, and 
hoping that that happens. It's necessary. So are there questions about the timeline or the project plan? Uh. Not for me, Jim. No, I'm good. I have one question. So when we are at QPSC or others and we see new policies come into place, um, so, so training always happens or is it like in a binder somewhere and people are on their own time supposed to look at when a policy is revised or changed or something? Does a, a revision or a, a new or a brand new policy automatically the process involves training? No. Uh, they are put out on the uh, policy system and uh, depending on the nature of the changes, sometimes there's communication about those for everyone to know that there's a new policy in place. Uh, sometimes it's minor changes. They update it. They might change the, the next review date and put it in the policy system and that's it. So you'd have to refer to that to, to really find out what was changed. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so we kind of talked about the OIG exclusion list. Uh, about 7,000 people were looked at, and we found one exception. It was a lot of work. It was a manual effort this time. Uh, going forward, I've actually uh, gotten a more of an automated tool where you can take an Excel file, dump it in, and it churns and, and kicks out results. Uh, it goes against different databases. I did mine against just the OIG exclusion file. This one will do it against multiple exclusion files. Uh, and it's kind of a cumbersome process in the beginning, but it gets better over time. Uh, so I'll be working through that. and. and periodically doing those reviews and reporting back. Thank you, Richard. Uh, the evaluation and management audit, uh, I did a high-level review of the uh, E&M codes, and there were 9,200 of these codes in 44 different specialty areas. And basically what I did was reviewed our practice by specialty against industry standards published by CMS. They had an online tool you could plug in, here's how many visits we did, here's how the dispersion looks, uh, what do you think? And basically it came back with results saying uh, we had a number of areas that were out of line. Some of them we build higher than the norm, meaning more uh, ex extreme visits. Uh, some of them we build real low visit levels and it was much lower than the norm. Mm -hmm. So we've been going, I've been working with uh, professional revenue cycle, we've been going and doing some trainings in these areas to make sure that they understand the proper coding and what tools are available to make sure that we get the levels right. And if that's really what they're doing and we can support it, that's great. But uh, I think that sometimes they're just picking a code, any code, and uh, they're getting generating a charge, but it's not 
necessarily appropriate. So uh, we need to do more of that. Was this dispersed around the system, or did you find any trends that there were certain business units that were charging, you know, incorrectly? Uh, there were certain doctors that were appear to be charging incorrectly. So I'm doing some focus training with them, but it's kind of giving that overall guidance to the whole specialty unit mm -hmm. just to make sure that they all get a refresher. Uh, I mean, I identified a doctor that did 50 visits a month, and every one of them was considered a basic visit. And that's highly unlikely. Uh, it, there should be some mix. Mm -hmm. So they were picking a code, and it was the so, basic one. Talk about the accountability for that. I, I don't understand. what. So how does that correction get made? So they are technically undercharging, and so we go back, we educate them, then we start looking at their charging ongoing. You, you have a conference with the individual? With the individual. If, if we see that they're really out of line, we're going to meet specifically with that person, make sure they understand, and then go back and look at their billing the next month to see how it looks and make sure there's some kind of dispersion there. So we will be following up on those after we do the training to make sure that it looks good. Yeah. I think it's important to realize that until just the last few weeks, actually, physicians actually don't get any reports to say, this is what you bill. And we're now doing that, and some of the decisions are coming saying, well, this isn't right. Wow. And so now we can meet with them and go through case by case. Wow. This is where that clinical documentation improvement program also comes in. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it, I think it's going to be a tremendous improvement uh, as we roll these new reports out. And, and that's why I want to do more of this type of auditing, because I think in most cases we're underbilling versus overbilling. Uh, and if we get the levels right, we generate more revenue. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not just the revenue, but healthcare organizations are graded on quality. Mm -hmm. And quality is case mix adjusted. So the severity of your patient mix makes a difference on your quality score. So for undercoding, we're going to look much worse than we really are. Mm -hmm. Because the outcomes will definitely not match with the basic. They've been receptive to this kind of training. Yeah, I can, yeah, I can hear you. Sorry. Uh, have they been receptive to this kind of the training, or do you see for the most resistance? part? Yes, and in fact, there's areas that are asking for more of it than mm -hmm. than we can actually provide right now. So it's it's a matter of who do you go to first, uh, and we really need to get out there and, and train more areas. Okay, uh, so the last thing that I had on here was uh, recent news, and you may have already heard about this. It's, it's been a while, but uh, a hacker got into a hospital system mm -hmm. and froze the system and said, we're not going to give you access back until you pay us some money. Now, in this case, it was basically $17,000 worth of bitcoins, uh, whatever bitcoins are, you know, uh, but serious situation. Yeah. The hospital gave in because they needed their system back. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't cost them much out of pocket for paying this ransom, but 
the implications are much greater because you're without your system for how many days, how do you document care, how do you bill, you know, what do you do? So uh, we have a, a penetration review that's on the books right now that we're, we're trying to get done uh, to make sure that our system isn't susceptible to this kind of stuff. And uh, you know, I've been pushing IT to get that uh, accomplished so that we don't have an exposure. Is it going at the timeline? Is it progressing at the timeline you wanted to? No. Uh, it was delayed because they had just redone the data center. They were changing over a lot of the software. Uh, they didn't want to do the penetration review. Now have uh, all the new processes finalized and then uh, have meaningless data. So they were waiting until that infrastructure was completed and in place, then we will be doing this uh, penetration review mm. to see who can get in, what, what are our access points, and how have we you know, clamped down on those things to make sure we're safe. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can add that we've added uh, <clears throat> ransom insurance this year to our policy. It was really, relatively inexpensive. I mean, this sets of precedence, right? But just, just for this reason. Yeah, and understand when you talk about IT security, there, you know, there's essentially four things that potentially happen, you know, with your system. You know, one is the where the system is breached, you know, for the purpose of simply stealing information from individuals, so stealing social security numbers, all those sorts of things. Um, the other three are basically attacks on the organization. And they may be indirectly for the purpose of accomplishing the same thing, i.e. getting some sort of compensation. So that's where you're talking about uh, ransomware in particular, which is this situation here where they infect a system you know, with some sort of virus and then basically in order to remove the virus you have to pay a ransom to have it uh, removed. Uh, malware, which is basically infecting the system with virus, and that can either be for the purpose of disrupting operations. Um, or because you can, uh, or you know because of some sort of dispute. And so, if you know two businesses which are competitors, you know one might infect another one uh, with a virus. And so, as these things have evolved, as David points out, you know new insurance products come out that you're able to get, you know, to protect against them. But you know part of what you know, you know Rick. You know, division includes you know the privacy department, but this is part of what Bonnie looks at. So if we have a breach, you know, part of it is is you know is this an attack on individuals? Is the attack on the system? And what type of attack on the system? That's part of what we're looking at. So, so th this is a different issue than what we've experienced this past week with Velocity. Was that the name of our? Yes, because that that was more in the you know that was you know, a failure or some issue with the system itself. And it wasn't an attack mm -hmm. on us. We were victimized in some respects, but it was an intentional action. And what I'm talking about are intentional acts by third parties that are designed to compromise pieces or parts of our system. So, uh, which, you know, just sort of underscores, you know, the difficulty and, you know, the importance of IT because they have to worry about intentional conduct as well as the accidents which happened, you know, at, you know, such as we suffered last week. Yeah, we see, yeah, okay. I too. 
Okay. That issue would be IT of a vendor, not not our IT. We were relying on a host doesn't system. But does it make yeah. a difference when the impact is to the system? So whether or not it belongs to, to somebody else, yeah. we contracted with that somebody else, and I mean, so by extension, it might be our arm, but the, the hand, it's all us. So, yeah, very frustrating. Probably much less for me than you. That's <laughs> frustrating. Yes. That's a good word. Congratulations, though, for the work. Yeah. Our IT team did it. Still ongoing. But you got the direct deposits done. We did. We did, yeah. We just have more work Uh, the only other thing was the one outstanding item on the follow-up list was the audit primer, which is done. And you have the calendar for the rest of the year, which uh, was updated to reflect current scheduled meetings. And that was it. What page is that on? So I can... 45. Oh, yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so I guess we will see you in September then. Is that correct? Yep. Okay, have we'll a great summer. Thank you so much. For any questions? Do you have any public comment? None received. Okay. I'm actually um, beginning to understand. Anything from the administration? Anything from the intern? No. Just smile. <laughs> you just smile. Okay. All right, uh, meeting adjourned.